And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called to according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Just as the suffering of Christ flow over into our lives, so also Christ, our comfort, overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance in the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Amen. Thank you. So we spent the month of August talking about, you know, serving the Lord with gladness and how God has made each one of us in a special way to serve him. And we've talked about the shape for ministry. And, of course, the S was for spiritual gifts. What are you gifted to do? You know, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter chapter 4 talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then we talked about, you know, the H, the heart. You know, God has given us a heart. He's given us a passion uh, to do different things. And, and then also the A, uh, he's given us abilities uh, that we've been good at since the moment we're, we've been born. And then he's also given us a personality. We're all different, aren't we? I mean, some are more extroverted, some are more introverted. And uh, it makes us totally unique. There's no one like me. Don't say amen. You know, there's nobody like you. We're all different. And God wants it that way so that we need each other in the church. Today, we want to conclude with the experiences of life, how God wants you to use the experiences of your life, all the good, the bad, and the ugly for his glory and for our good. I think the most famous passage in the Bible, and Gracie, you had that memorized. That's awesome. Romans 8, 28, right? We know that in all things God works for the good to those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. I mean, it's one of the most famous passages uh, in the Bible, and it's probably one of the most uh, misused or abused and misunderstood verses of the Bible. Let me tell you what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that all things work out the way I want them to, right? And we know that's not true. And it doesn't say that, you know, everything has a happy ending on earth. It doesn't say that because we live in a broken planet, right? Well, what does it say? Let's unpack this verse a little bit before we get into the meat of this message it says, we know, that's the first little phrase, you know, not we guess, not we hope, not we wish, not we pray, not we want, not we desire, no, we know, we know this for a fact of life. As surely as the sun's going to come up tomorrow, we know this is for certain. What do we know? We know that in all things, you know, what's included in the word all? The original meaning of the Greek word for all is all. Huh? Am I a smart guy or what? Does that include your stupid mistakes? Yes. 
Does that include your dumb decisions? Yes. Does that include your failures? Yes. Does that include your sins? Yes. Does that include divorce and miscarriage and un unemployment and everything else that happens in life? Yes. Bankruptcy? Yes. Cancer? Yes. Everything is included in that word all. We know that in all things, God fits it in his plan. It's certainly not all good. I mean, there's a lot of evil in the world. There's a lot of bad in the world. There's evil in this world, and God's not the author of evil. God grieves, I think, when he sees evil happening, but he's given us a free choice, and he will not force you or anybody else to do right without taking away your free will. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. He works for the good. I mean, there is this huge, grand design behind everything in your life. There is a designer your life is not an accident. It is not fate. There is no luck in your life. There's no karma in your life. There is no random choice. There's no happenstance in your life. There is this design behind your life. We have a sovereign, almighty God who's in charge of the universe. That's what we believe as Christians, right? We know that in all things God, in all things God works for the good of those who love him. You know, he works for the good. There's this grand design behind everything in your life. And we know that in all things, God is working for what? For the good. Even in the bad? Yes. For the good. He loves to bring good out of bad. He loves to turn crucifixions into resurrections, right? He loves to take stupid mistakes of others and the ones we make ourselves and somehow put them all together and bring good. We make mistakes, but God, he never makes a mistake. God works for the good of those who love him. I mean, this is not a promise for everybody in the world. God is not working everything for the good of everyone, you know, who doesn't love him. I mean, if I'm thumbing my nose at God, if I'm turning my back uh, to God, pretending like I'm my own God and I don't need God, everything is working out for bad in my life. And it's not working for good. God owes me nothing. You know, when I deny my creator, when I deny my redeemer, you know, his right to lead and direct my life as he made me, and I ignore his purpose and I do my own thing, everything is not working out for good. In fact, it's working for bad. And this is a promise to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And one of the reasons that I worship God is because he's a God who can uh, take the mess that I've made out of my life and make a message out of it. He can take all the tests that come my way and give me a testimony. He can take the crisis and he can show Christ through it. He can take the bad things in my life and he can bring even good out of that. It kind of, it's like a mystery and it's a miracle all at the same time. You know, chocolate chip cookies. Raise your hand if you like chocolate chip cookies. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't like chocolate chip cookies for crying out loud? I mean, uh, and just think of the individual ingredients in chocolate chip cookies. You know, some of them... You know, if you, if you ate them by themselves, it tastes like turtle spit. Have you ever had that? You know, that's bad. I mean, did you ever eat a little shortening? You know, don't try it. Raw egg? Don't do it, you know. Uh, salt and sugar by itself? Bad. Baking soda? Bad. Chocolate chips? Good. Chocolate chips are good. I raid the chocolate chip thing every once in a while, and Mary says, where did the chocolate chips go? I, oh, you know, I ate them. You know, but one out of six... You know, not bad. Somehow, though, when you mix the five bad things, right, with the one good thing and you stirred them up together, you know, it is so good. 
You know, you eat half the dough before you even make the cookies. And how is that? Five bad things and one good equal a really good mixture. And that's what God wants to do with your life. He wants to take the bad, 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 five bads and a good, and turn you into a Mrs. Fields cookie. He's a pro at it. And today we're going to look at how he does it. God does not want you to waste your experiences, okay? So how do I keep from wasting the experiences I've had in my life up to this point? Three things quickly. First, you have to embrace uh, your experiences, the good ones, the bad ones, the ugly ones, the shameful ones, the right ones, the wrong ones, the happy and sad ones, all of them. You've got to stop running from your past if God's going to use it for good in your life. Galatians 3, 4, it says this, have you suffered so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing, another version says, were all these experiences wasted? I hope not. And as your pastor, I say to you, I hope not too. Don't run away from your past. The problem is because of pain, you know, many people deny their past. They ignore their past. They discount their past. They regret their past. They resent their past. They revise their past. They rewrite their past. They make up little stories that aren't really the way it was because they're happier with their story than they are with the pain of their past. And God says, if you're in denial, he can't use it for good, and he wants you to use it for good in your life. You see, God can use every experience in life for good. Every experience. The relational, the educational, the spiritual, the vocational, the painful, all of them. The ones you like, the ones you didn't like, you can use them all. But, you know, we've got to stop running from the past. You have to embrace your experiences. Maybe your parents weren't that great growing up. Maybe you weren't that hot in school. Uh, maybe you weren't the football captain. Maybe you weren't the, the, the prom queen. Well, so what? They're your experiences. Own them. And God will use them for good in your life. Deuteronomy 11.2 says, Remember what you've learned about the Lord through your experiences with him. In other words, remember the lessons that you've learned in life. And John 13.7, Jesus is talking here. He says, you don't realize now what I'm doing. But later, you'll understand. You'll almost never understand what God is doing in your life in the present. It's only looking back that you can see it. Now I see what God is doing, you know. You know, he, he was doing this. You know, I didn't even know. I didn't see it at the time, but I see it now. You know, remember Joseph in the Old Testament? He was a guy in the Bible. Everything in his life went wrong for some 40 years, and it was just going downhill. Nothing went right, you know, including being thrown in jail for a rape he didn't even do. And he ran from the woman, and she had falsely accused him, and everything went wrong in this poor guy's life for some 40 years. And yet later, looking back, God had done a, a series of amazing things in his life and and God raised him up to be second in command in Egypt during the famine and he saved Israel and Egypt from starving to death and when he was confronted you know with the brothers who had traded him into slavery and told their dad you know that he just died he said this in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 he said what you guys meant for evil God meant for good 
There are things in your life where people intended to hurt you and they meant it and they meant to hurt you and I'm sorry. They intended it for bad but God is greater than your problem. He's greater than your pain and his purpose is bigger than either of those and he means it for good. So first you have to embrace your experiences, stop running from them and secondly, you should ex extract the lessons. You pull the lessons out of the experiences you've had. You know, an unexamined experience is worthless. And, you know, here are people who are 50 years old. They haven't lived 50 years. They've lived one year 50 times. They're still making the same mistakes because they never stop and, and extract lessons. You know, what happened in this last year and how can I do differently based on what I did this last year. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, it says, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. One version says, examine and test and evaluate yourselves to see if you're in the faith. In other words, you know, have you extracted lessons? Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you? You know, haven't you figured out by now that you've never been alone? God is with you all the time. When you thought you were the most lonely or abandoned by God, he's right there with you. Have you not figured out from your experiences yet that Jesus is with you? He's with you and he's in you. If you've invited him into your life, you need to go back and, and sometimes look for patterns in your life. You know, especially patterns in your failure because when you fail, you kind of do it the same way every time. And so you say, you know, where have I failed in the past? And you don't do it to beat yourself up, you know, like poor me. You do it saying, I want to be different. And what are the patterns that I keep doing over and over again? And those who ignore history, right, they're doomed to repeat it. So this is the problem with the, the Israelites in the Old Testament, right? They were freed from like 400 years of slavery. And they're coming to the promised land. They're crossing the Sinai uh, Peninsula. And it takes them 40 years. Why? The trip should have only taken four weeks, not 40 years. Why? Because they refused to learn experiences and the lessons that they needed to learn. And so God would give them a test and they'd blow it and they'd forget. And God said, okay, you know, one more lap around the desert. And then they'd fail another test and one more lap around the desert. And they did it seven times and it took them 40 years for something that should have never taken that long. You want to look for the lessons and then number three, you employ them to help others. And when you finally realize that the purpose of your life is far greater than your own happiness, problems become a whole lot easier to handle. I mean, you just look at everything from, from a different point of view, kind of like from a different perspective. You're able to use the experiences of your life, good, bad, and ugly, to what? To help other people. And so the Apostle Paul said in Philippians, and he's writing... Uh, to the people in this Greek city of Philippi. And he says this, I want you to know, my friends, that the things that have happened to me have actually happened to serve to advance the gospel. He says, I want you guys to know that the things that have happened to me are actually beneficial for the ultimate goal of sharing the good news, of sharing the gospel. So where is he when he's writing this? And what are the things that have happened to him, the Apostle Paul? You know, he's been captured. He's been 
taken on a ship to Rome. He's been shipwrecked. He was bitten by a snake. And now he's thrown into a, a prison in a dungeon. He's cuffed to a 24-hour Roman guard. And he's going, the things that have happened to me have actually caused the good news to spread even further. It's spreading now all the way to Rome. And I tell you, that's a different perspective, isn't it? You know, he's not whining. He's not crying and complaining that people won't make him happy. I mean, if it wasn't for that centurion, I wouldn't be happy. And if it weren't for this prison, I'd be happy. No. He's saying, I got this bigger perspective. And all this happened to help others find Jesus. Don't waste your experiences, but also use your experiences. And let's just go through four ways real quick. Use them, first of all, to minister to others. God says, I want to use your experiences to minister to others. And this is one of the verses that uh, Joe Lynn and Grace read. You know, just as you share in our suffering, so also share in our comfort. And the point here is God, he takes us through problems, doesn't he? He comforts us. He helps us out. You know, he strengthens us in our problems so that we can comfort and help and strengthen others when they go through the same things that we've gone through. We get the comfort from God, and we share that comfort with others who need that same comfort, you know, and God blesses us to be a blessing to others, and God helps us so that we can help others, and every experience that you've gone through, he wants to use in your life. Why? To help somebody else. He says, use your experiences. Don't waste them. Use them. How? By helping somebody else who's about to go through or is going through what you've already been through. So God, he never wastes a hurt. So who can help somebody better going through cancer than somebody who's been through cancer? And who can help somebody dealing with an addiction, you know, to pornography or medicines or drugs or a million other things and somebody who's been addicted to pornography or drugs or a million other things? And who can help somebody better you know, deal with the pain of divorce and somebody who's, who's been there and really knows what it's like and who can help somebody deal with the project, project, uh, problem of rejection or adultery than somebody who's experienced the problem of rejection and adultery and who can better help the parents like of a special needs child than parents who had a special needs child and who can better help parents who had a kid who kind of went off the deep end than somebody whose son or daughter went off the deep end and who can better help somebody through the loss of a loved one than somebody who says, you know what? I just lost my loved one last year. And who can help better somebody with AIDS than somebody who is, who's got AIDS? God never wastes a hurt. And he doesn't want you to waste your hurts. And he wants you to use them to benefit and to bless other people. And the thing maybe that you're the most embarrassed about, the thing that you most regret, that injustice, that prejudice, maybe it's that hurt, that wound, that sin, that mistake, that thing that you'd like to keep in the closet and say, that's over. I'm not going to think about that anymore. That's not my life anymore. That's the very thing that could be your greatest ministry. Who could better help somebody who's been raped than somebody who went through a rape? Nobody else could even understand what it's like, you know, an abuse or a rape, uh, an incest or anything like that. Sometimes I think you always help people more through your weaknesses 
than through your strengths. And if you don't use your experience, I think it's wasted. And all you get out of it is a bunch of pain. And that's not what God wants you to get out of it. Where was God when that happened? I think he was grieving too. He could have taken away the free will of every one of us, but that would have made us not human. We would have been puppets. And there's a lot of things that happen on this planet that God hates. And he hates sin, and he hates evil, and he weeps. But if you refuse to deal with it and let God use it and bring good out of it, all you get out of it is pain. So don't waste your hurt. Use your experience to minister to others. And the second way God wants to use your experiences is he wants you to use them to motivate others. You minister to people in their pain. You motivate others when they're discouraged, right? When they're down, your experiences can be inspirational to many people because you've been through some things and you've been places that they have not gone through yet and you can motivate them. And the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, encourage one another, help one another out. We're to encourage, we're to build up, we're to motivate, we're to inspire. How do you do that? You can do it three ways. I mean, you can give people hope, um, you can help people overcome their fears. You can help people break down barriers. First, you can give people some hope. You know, you give people hope when you show people, hey, you know what? You, you could make it through this. I did, you know. Uh, you show that you've been through it and you're able to get through it. And they're able to get through it too in the same way. And you just show them that it can be done. And when you give people hope, you help take away their fears. It's kind of like, you know, going on a roller coaster for the first time. Let's say you go down to Valley Fair. And uh, you've never been on one of those roller coaster rides, and you're thinking, you know, when it gets to the top, is this a smart decision? Have you been there? Yeah. You know, the person in front of you turns around and says, man, this is a great ride. I've been on it five times. And you're saying, okay, I think I'm going to live. Uh, they've done it five times. It's, it's got to be okay. You know, having somebody already gone through, it's an inspiration. It's motivational. I mean, how many of you mothers, when you were in your first pregnancy and then you gave birth to your first, first child, felt scared to death? You felt incompetent, you know, unprepared, inadequate. You know, I don't know what, you know, this baby's crying, I can't make it stop. You know, how grateful you were for somebody, you know, to come along and just speak into you and say, you know what, babies cry, it's okay. It's, good. it's okay to let them cry. You can't always get them to stop crying immediately. This is normal. And all your fears that you're having, they're normal. I mean, and then you help people break through barriers when you motivate them with your own experience. I mean, who knows who Roger, Roger Bannister, you know, he broke the, the four-minute mile in 1954. Roger Bannister, first guy to break the four-minute mile running in 1954. At that time, everybody said, it is humanly impossible to run a four-minute mile or less. No human being could run that fast or ever will run that fast. That is an impossible barrier. It's like breaking the sound barrier and things like that. And yet, within about 12 months after Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile, about a, a dozen other guys had done it too. And all of a sudden it was like, hey, it can be done. And everybody went, you know, it can be done. And I just want to be the next one to do it. It's kind of like climbing Mount Everest, right? You have had experiences in your life that could be 
like barrier busting, inspirational, motivating other people if you're just willing to share it. And that's why testimonies of God's faithfulness in your life, whether it's stories of salvation or stories of how God has helped you out in some way, they're so powerful. When you speak from personal experience, it's always more important than just teaching. I mean, the most powerful way to say anything is the most personal way to say it. It's like that ad, you know, I've tried tad, uh, Tide, why don't you try it too, you know? I've done it, you know, it worked for me. You know, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 4, 6. It says, for your sakes, my friends, I have applied all of this to Apollos and myself, personal application, using the two of us as examples so that you might learn. You know, let's say I was going to do a sermon series on marriage. What if I never told you about any of the the problems or the faults in our marriage? You know, and I'm, I'm just going through it. It's like, Dave and Mary have a perfect marriage. It's like, really? You know, big liar. Right? You know? It's like, you know, you probably say, you know, Dave and marriage don't have a perfect, Dave and, Dave and Mary don't, don't have a perfect marriage. And we don't either. But they've lasted 41 years. Maybe we can too. Perfection never helps anybody. Except when it's Jesus. The rest of the time, it's normal. Role models that make mistakes. Somebody told me once, you know, nobody's worthless. You can only serve as a bad example. You know? Sometimes uh, something, there's something powerful about being honest. Something powerful about being real about your faults and your failures. The third way that God wants you to use your experiences is use them to model for others. Not just minister and not just motivate, but actually model for others. Paul says it like this in the book of Philippians. Dear brothers, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. Notice Paul says, follow my example. He's saying, I'm going to be a model. Well, what's a model? A model is like a smaller, you know, representation of the real thing. If you go in my office, you'll see like 30 or 40 little models of Volkswagens. Have you ever, you should go in there and take a look. Volkswagen's all over the place, thanks to Dennis Kirshenman, you know. But God wants you to be a model. In fact, that's what the word Christian means, isn't it? A little Christ, a smaller representation of the real thing. There's no way that you are Jesus. Yeah, he lives in us. I, I get it. The Spirit of God lives in us, but there's no way that you are Jesus. And you're never going to be perfect. You are flawed you are imperfect, you're a smaller model, but God says, I want you to be a Christian. I want you to be a Christian, a little Christ. I want little models of Jesus all over the world. Are we imperfect? Yes. Do we blow it? Yes. Are we poor, small, cheap imitations of the real thing? Yes. But he says, I want you to be a model. I want you to be a little Christ at work. I want you to be a little Christ at school. I want you to be a little Christ in your neighborhood with your boyfriend or with your girlfriend. Be a little Christ. I want you to be a model. And Paul knew that we all need models and we follow by example. Philippians 3, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine. Learn from those who follow our example. I mean, that sounds pretty arrogant, doesn't it? Follow me. Pretty audacious when he says, I want you to follow me. But Paul just understands human nature. It's, it's human nature really to imitate. 
Practically everything you learn in the first five years of your life is by imitation, and that's how you learn. There's nothing wrong with imitation. That's just how you learn. And so why was Jesus the greatest teacher ever in history? Because he actually modeled his message. He didn't just say it. He lived it out. He, he incarnated the truth. It was incarnational teaching. Remember, the word became flesh, and Jesus' life was his message. And he said, this is how you do it, and then he did it. He didn't say, do what I say, not as I do. He said, what you see is what you get. He modeled the message. He lived it out. And in John 13, he said this. He says, I've given you an example to follow. I've given you a model to follow. As I have done for you, you should also do. And Jesus says, I want you to follow my model, and then I want you to be a model. I expect you to be a model. I expect you to be a model for other people. As a Christ follower, God expects you to do the same. Titus says, always set a good example. That's a model for others. And here's the, the more important question. Who do you need to be a model to? In what areas could you be a model for somebody else? You need to be a model and you need to have models. Titus tells us this, our people should also learn how to set an example, that's modeling, by doing good things when urgent needs arise so that they can live productive lives. The last way that God wants you to use your experiences is by mentoring others. I think mentoring is far more intentional than simply you know, ministering to somebody when they're hurting or motivating somebody like when they're down or modeling and giving them an example. Mentoring is when you actually say, I am gonna take an interest in this particular person's life and I'm going to help them along. I'm gonna speak into them. I'm gonna prophesy over their lives. I'm gonna speak words of encouragement and comfort. I'm gonna build them up. In the name of Jesus. First John chapter 1 says, we saw it, we heard it, and now we're telling you so you can experience it along with us. You know, I pass it along to you, and now you can pass it along to others. What is a mentor? A mentor is somebody that's experienced. He's like a trusted, or he or she is a trusted counselor or a guide. You know, they've been around the block a few times. They have experience. They're trusted, and they're like a counselor or a guide. Actually, the word mentor it comes from Homer's poem, The Odyssey. You know, the king, when he goes off to fight that Trojan War, he leaves his kingdom in the hands of a trusted counselor named Mentor. And Mentor actually teaches and he raises up the king's son, and that's where we get the word mentor. And so a mentor is kind of like a personal coach. It's very intentional. Personal coaches, they bring out the best in you. They see in you things that you don't see in yourself. A mentor helps you in three areas. You know, role, goal, and soul. You know, a mentor helps you with your role. What do I do in life? Your goal, what am I accomplishing in life? And your soul, what am I becoming in life? They help you, make you become what you can become. And the fact is, you know, all education used to be done by mentors, right? I mean, there were no schools. In the Middle Ages, they would just be apprenticed to a master craftsman and they would train and disciple and mentor you and they would teach you one-on-one -on -one, and that's how you'd learn to be a shoemaker or one of the other many crafts and today mentors are used more often than before I mean they use mentors in the military now 
They use mentors in management. They use mentors in sales. They use mentors in schools and in politics. You've got to have people who are speaking into your life. And the Bible says in Proverbs 25, 12, a warning given by an experienced person is someone willing to listen to someone willing to listen is more valuable than gold rings or jewelry. He's saying this is, this is priceless. You're always going to need a mentor. And those of you who are over 40 years old, the next verse is for you. And Job 32, age should speak and experience should teach wisdom. Are you doing that? Or are you wasting your experiences? Are you teaching anybody? Are you sharing what you've learned? You know, do this, avoid this. Are you sharing any of your experiences? You need to be sharing them. Age should speak and experience should teach wisdom. And then if you're under 40, the next verse is for you in Job 8. It says, ask the former generation, pay attention to the experiences of our ancestors. I mean, you could save yourself a lot of pain. Uh, you can either learn everything from experience, which is kind of dumb. I usually learn things that way, and I get tired of going to the school of hard knocks, you know, or you can learn from the experiences of others, which is smart. You know, I don't have time to learn everything by personal experience, and on top of that, it's a lot more painful to learn it that way. It's wise to learn from experience. It's wiser to learn from the experiences of others. So what do you look for in a mentor? You look for someone with experience. You look for perspective, you look for somebody you can trust, and if you're a believer, you ne definitely need a believer as a mentor, and it may surprise you, but you can mentor at any age. I think Greta is even having some uh, students in the children's program mentor others in some way, uh, shape, or form. A 10-year-old can mentor an 8-year-old. Uh, in fact, a 10-year-old can mentor a 12-year-old if he or she knows more about that subject than somebody else, and it it doesn't have to do anything with age. If, if somebody knows more than you in a particular area, I mean, some of you, for instance, could be mentored on computers by somebody much younger than you, like a seven-year-old. Right? I mean, everybody agree with that? I do. You know, I, I, I need some help from these kids that know how to, you know, that generation knows more about that stuff than we do. You can mentor at any age. You can mentor somebody at your own age. You need to be mentoring other people. And the Bible says in 1 Timothy 4, and this is a good verse for young people, and then we're done. Don't let anyone treat you as unimportant because you're young. And Paul's talking to Timothy, right, who is a young man. He says, instead, be an example to the believers with your words, with your actions, with your love, with your faith, and with your pure life. So let me close with this. Just imagine for a second if you and the people on either side of you sitting right here today, and if everybody in this room, what if we today said, you know what? We're going to combine our experiences and we're going to use them for good and for God. Just imagine the impact. Imagine the, the power and the influence that would be unleashed. Maybe some of that could be unleashed this coming Friday night or Saturday night at those parks. You know, the police, they want us to share Jesus. In every area of life, God is saying to you today, do not waste 
your experiences, good, bad, or ugly, they're an important part of your shape. They're just as important as your spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your personality. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I just thank you so much for the hope that you give us that even though we have failed you so many times, Lord, we have gotten off the path and Lord, we've sinned, Lord, we have not done the things you've called us to do and sometimes we've done the things that you say are just plain wrong and yet you can take all of it when we give it to you. We can offer our lives to you. And that's what I want to do right now, Lord. I just want to offer my life to you. Everything that I have been through, Lord, I want you to use it for your glory. Lord, I want to offer my days to you, the rest of them. And I lift up my praise to you, Lord, as a living sacrifice. Lord, I offer you my life. Jesus, I, I give you my all, and it's in your name that I pray. Amen.